is probably among the most celebrated holidays in the in in the world. It's a global holiday because it's not an event that belongs to a particular nation or race or tribe. It's an event that belongs to all Christian, all people everywhere, because it answers the problem that all people everywhere have, which is the problem that, uh, you know, the, one of the problems all people everywhere have. You know, there's two certainties in life, death and taxes, and the resurrection addresses one of those problems in, in uh, the victory over death that Jesus experienced. And uh, so the resurrection changes everything, and, that, and that's why Easter is something we all celebrate. But one of the things that I've come to see in my own life and as I've, I've talked to other people is we can talk about Easter, we can celebrate Easter, we can recognize Easter, but sometimes the real implications of it, the real power of Easter are lost on us. In fact, that's always been the way it is because Easter is too, the magnitude of Easter is too great. The significance of Easter is too, too substantial for us really to be able to grasp apart from God's Spirit working in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul offers up, Paul the Apostle offers up a prayer for some of his friends in one of the churches he had planted. And his prayer is that they might grasp the power of Easter. And I, I want to take this as a model of something that we can pray for one another and pray for ourselves as we celebrate the resurrection this, uh, this Easter Sunday. It's found in your program. It comes from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's telling them, what he's praying for them. And that's a good thing, just a side note, if you are praying for someone, tell people how you're praying for them. Tell people what you're praying for and encourage people with the fact that you have them on, on your mind and that you're bringing them, to, bringing them and their, their concerns to God. But Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, people he knew well, and he prays that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's a power that's like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's saying the power of God for us who believe is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he wants them to comprehend that. And so this is, this is a prayer that Easter might not just be the day that we break out our fancy dresses and, and come to church and, and eat ham at grandma's house and things like that, but that Easter and the truth of Easter and the, the event of Easter might be something that changes everything in our lives. And I, so I want to go through three aspects of that that come to light in this passage. The first is that the power of God through Easter helps us to find our significance through a new inheritance. I think sometimes as we look at the world around us, you know, you can watch the various newsmakers and celebrities and superstars in various areas, whether they're in the world of athletics or show business or uh, just business in general and entertainment. And, and there's, there's this, this small group of people that tend to capture the attention of most of, most of humanity. 
And you know, sometimes I think when we look at that, when we think about it, it just makes us wonder, who am I really? You know, is anyone paying attention to me? What difference does my life make? What difference does my existence make? But the work of God at Easter gives us a new answer to that question. In verse 16, Paul says that you might know the riches of a glorious inheritance in the saints. He's saying what sets followers of Christ apart is an inheritance they've received from God. It's not something they've earned or achieved or accomplished. It's a gift that God has shown toward them. And, uh, you know, when we seek significance, when we seek power, when we seek the attention of others, that's always sort of a frustrating and sometimes an embarrassing process. But what the message of Easter offers to all of us is another basis for significance, another basis for hope, not in what we've accomplished or what we've done for others, but what's been accomplished for us, what God has done for us through the work of Jesus, through his life and through his death. Just a little bit earlier in the book of Ephesus, Paul put it this way, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I think that's personal, potentially personal for all of us because what, what I've noticed is most people are on a lifelong project trying to redeem their lives, trying to give their lives some significance, trying to fix their lives, trying to make their lives matter somehow. And the message of Easter is you can't redeem yourself. You are absolutely unredeemable except for the grace of God. You can't redeem yourself and that's why God sent a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And, and the real challenge of life, the Bible says, is not to try to redeem ourselves, but to rest in the redemption that came through Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. But on the other hand, if you get that, if you believe that, if you embrace that, here's the possibility. It opens up to all of us, no matter how weak or how flawed or how limited we might be. It opens up the possibility that you could be an agent of redemption, that God can use your life to bring redemption to others, that God can use your life to make an eternal difference in others. That's what Easter can mean for all of us. In fact, that's part of what the, the resurrection means for believers is that the restoration will happen and we can be agents of that. It's very interesting. Some of you might be familiar with 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's a go-to passage for pastors on Easter Sunday because it's an extended chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ where Paul is talking about the fact that Jesus rose and how that, how that changes everything. And then his application is very interesting. You might expect after, after Paul has said, Jesus rose from the dead and we need to believe in him and we need to rest in him, you might expect that Paul, Paul would then say, okay, so you guys don't have to do anything, just wait, God's going to take care of it all. And, you know, you guys can all just rest easy and let God, get, let God fix this world. But instead... The way 1 Corinthians 15 ends, the application, the practical application of and implication of the resurrection for all of us is this. I think it's up on the board now. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The promise he's saying here is that 
all of your service, all of your sacrifice, all of your effort, all of your struggle, all of the things you seek to do in his name ultimately will find their way into the new world that Jesus initiated through his resurrection. They might feel insignificant right now. They might feel like they're passing away right now. But ultimately, because Jesus rose from the dead, your labors in his name are not in vain. We might feel invisible and irrelevant and wonder about the real significance of our life, but real significance and eternal impact is discovered through our connection with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's the offer that he gives us. But not only does he invite us to find our significance in him, he also invites us to find a new basis for hope in him. You know, think about the life of Jesus. I would imagine most of you are, are broadly familiar with the life of Jesus. And in real time, he went, he went through life, and, it, and um, up until about age 33, he looked like he had had a pretty impressive life. He had gathered a lot of followers. A lot of people knew his name. A lot of people were paying attention to him. A lot of people hung on his every word. He could gather a crowd pretty easily, and he had, he had gained the attention of, of the authorities. And then it all fell apart. And as you know the story, his friends rejected him, the authorities arrested him, and then he was condemned, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross. And at that point, everybody figured that Jesus must have been an absolute abject failure because they were desperately looking for a savior. They were desperately looking for a Messiah, but the definition of a Messiah was somebody who was victorious and triumphant, and somebody who got nailed to a Roman cross, by definition, was not somebody who was going to be able to rescue them. And even though they were looking for a Messiah, when Jesus, when Jesus passed away, they, he, he just became another failed pretender of a Messiah until he rose again from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, everything in Jesus' life took on new meaning. Everything in Jesus' life had a whole new significance. Everything he said and everything he did was validated because of his, of his resurrection. And, and that's the basis for our hope. So when Paul says, I want you to know the hope that God has called you to, He's asking us to channel the power of the resurrection even for our life. Now, you know, this is, this is interesting to me uh, professionally because I, uh, I do a lot of funerals. If you guys need a funeral, you can call me. It's, it's uh, one of my skills. And so this past uh, week, it, it was interesting. There was a front page article in the Washington Post that the title of which was, The Funeral As We Know It Is Becoming a Relic. And I was talking about the fact that people don't do funerals anymore. I mean, people still die, but, uh, but, but they don't usually have a formal funeral at a church with, with all the trappings the way, the way we took for granted a couple uh, decades ago. The traditional funeral has, has gone out of fashion. Now instead, what do we usually have? Let's celebrate the life. Let's have a celebration of life and everyone gets together and tells funny stories and cracks jokes and talks about what they liked about the person who passed away. And, uh, you know, and, th and that seems like a good sentiment, but one of the things I've 
learned over a career of doing funerals and following up and ministering to people as they go through life is that most lives aren't really a completed story. Oftentimes people are right in the midst of life and it gets cut short or they're going through life and they get off track and there's much less to celebrate or uh, or they just kind of fade away and so so when we look at our lives often even within the limits of our life it's hard to figure out what what we ought to be celebrating there and you know it's an interesting dynamic we, we live in the new in, in the modern age this it were in the midst of something of an experiment this is the first age in the history of humanity where the vast majority of people or the popular wisdom was that there is no life after death that this life is all there is and when you when you die it's uh, it's lights lights out and uh, and we don't really know how that's going to shape society going forward or how that's going to shape the values we live by or, or what our world is going to look like it it's going to be interesting to see but when we have a celebration of life the challenge with that is you're kind of ignoring the elephant in the room which is this person is not is now dead and i think there's a sense in which we've lost the plot a traditional funeral is not just about the life that's been lost and the eulogizing that life, but it's also about the hope that we have, a hope that though we died, one day we will rise again, a hope that we have that though this person has physically passed away, eternally they've lived on and they've gone to be with, with Jesus in paradise. And a hope that we have that one day we'll all be restored. And so the, the doctrine of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, gives us hope even in the face of a life that's cut short, even in the face of a life that's interrupted, a hope that God ultimately is going to finish all of these stories and ultimately our life story is going to fit into a larger story and everything is going to work out for good. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul gives perspective on this. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. See, there's a completely, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, because Christians believe that, we have hope even in the midst of grieving. It's not that we don't grieve, but we can grieve with hope because of the victory of Jesus. See, most of our lives are a mixture of tragedy and comedy and farce. Some of our lives are too short or, or represent unfinished stories or we go off track. Just like, frankly, the life of Jesus seemed like something of a tragedy initially. He, especially as he hung on a Roman cross and died at age 33 with a sign above his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. But there's an assurance that we can have, each of us, that's offered through the victory of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that is, you know, you don't know how your story will unfold, but we can have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And what the resurrection tells us is that each one of us is part 
of a glorious plan, part of a story that's much bigger than ourselves. And we fit into that larger story in a way that we can only begin to imagine. And well, the promise of the gospel is one day all the threads of this story, of all of our stories, are going to come together and it's all going to be make sense because it's going to be part of God's epic story of how God is working to redeem this world. And precisely where your story is the most incoherent, precisely in the places where your story doesn't seem to make any sense at all, that's the place where God is working in a powerful way to accomplish something that's bigger than anything you can imagine. And that's the promise that we have, especially when our story gets rough, especially when the way we'd like to write our story and the way our story is actually unfolding seem like two different things. We have this hope that God is writing a bigger story through our lives. So you have a key part to play, and your story is going to be a glorious story as you follow the, the risen Christ. This, is, this, this hope is summed up by the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139 when he says, All the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Just as the story of Jesus was not the story that people thought would be a story of victory, but it was a greater victory than they could imagine, your story and the disappointments and the frustrations you have are leading to a greater victory than you can imagine if you continue to trust in him. So it gives us a basis for significance. It gives us a basis for hope. And then finally, it's in the resurrection that we see the power of God coming even through our scars. Paul says, I pray that you might know his incomparably great power for us who believe, a power that's like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead. You know, into every life, tragedy falls one way or another, and all of our best laid plans, often our best laid plans, end up in shambles. And sometimes even the holidays serve as a reminder of the fact that life isn't working out quite the way we wanted. But the story of Jesus, life of Jesus, is all about the reality that God has entered into our tragedy. God became one of us. He lived a life like ours. He experienced all the inconveniences of life that you and I experience on the way. He experienced rejection by by his family, desertion by his friends. He experienced condemnation by the crowd. He was unjustly convicted by the courts. He was tortured. He experienced the breakdown of his body and even the dark night of the soul and unanswered prayers and a sense of abandonment by God. All of those things. I mean, the, the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus is and one level, a story of the ultimate human tragedy, the best man who ever lived, the sinless man who, who lived a perfect life, enduring the worst that this world has to offer, not only from his friends, but also the victory of his enemies over him, not only, not, and not only that, but even the abandonment, the spiritual abandonment of God. And his last words, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, the story of Jesus is the story of God 
working through tragedy. And even in the tragedy of Jesus, God was setting the powers of darkness up for their ultimate defeat. Because even the tragedy and evil was just a tool that God was using to accomplish his plan. And this is what the apostles came to see. In Acts chapter 4, the uh, apostles are praying and they pray this. They affirm this. They say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. What the apostles came to see after the resurrection was that all of the bad things that happened in Jesus' life were part of God's glorious plan. And all of the ways where it seemed like Jesus' life was falling apart was actually things falling into place so God could accomplish a greater victory than anything they could imagine. See, the power of God is such that he even uses the bad intentions of bad people to accomplish his glorious purpose. And that's the way that we can look at all of life as followers of Christ. You know, when you're looking at your life and you're looking at your struggle and you're looking at your illness and you're looking at the evil that you face in, in your world and when you're looking at your own failures or the failures of people who you depend on and when you're looking at the injustice and unfairness that, that touches your life or touches the lives of people, you know, in all of these things, the assurance of the gospel is that God is working through them to accomplish something greater than we can imagine. And we live in a world where this is happening in ways we can't even comprehend. Even in, even in our city, as, as random people are victimized by, by various violent crimes, and you just wonder why that is happening, even, even among our friends as little kids are afflicted with fatal diseases, and you wonder, what is God doing in these circumstances? I just opened up the, the paper this morning, and, and in Sri Lanka, as of last count, over 200 people died in church bombings in Easter, and, and more than 500 were wounded because the uh, terrorists targeted Easter Sunday to, to attack the churches there. I understand they do the same thing in, in Egypt as well where they target the days when the churches are the most full, the, the highest, holiest days, and that's where they go and blow things up. But, but that's the world that we live in. This tragedy that was a part of Jesus' life is a part of the, the lives of people today, and it's, and it's inevitably the part of our life in ways that make no sense to us. But the promise of the resurrection is that we can have hope in the face of failure that we can have hope in the face of tragedy, that we can have hope in the face of the brokenness and even in the face of the triumph of evil all around us. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that proves that to us. You know, it's very interesting. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, he had to convince them that it was really him. And so what did he show them in his resurrected body? Remember this? He comes up to Thomas and he says, put your finger here, see my hand, see where the nails went through. And then he pulled back his shirt and said, remember when the spear went in my side? See, see my side? And, and, and he, it was the scars of Jesus that identified him. Even in his resurrected body, even in his perfected body, it was his scars that set him apart. 
because but now his scars were not proof of his uh, not not a sign of his shame or disfigurement they were part of his glory they were part of his eternal identity because it was through those scars that redemption was accomplished it was through those scars that new life was brought and this is the power of the resurrection for all of us it's not a hope of some disembodied heaven where we'll just uh, fly off and be goats floating around in on clouds playing harps or something like that but it's real consolation for the disappointments in life because the life you never had the tragedies that you endure the pain that you endure is all going to find its way into the restored life that that God is going to give you because his son who was crushed for our iniquities was also raised to give us new life you know we accumulate scars as life comes at us you accumulate scars sometimes just for living in a broken world sometimes if you're dedicated in your faith and living by principle you accumulate even more scars but but through all that if we're following Christ victory comes in the end and the promise of the resurrection for all those who believe in Jesus is that you will get the life that you wanted you will get the body you wanted you will get the health and the strength and the beauty that you're you're longing for you will experience the love and the family and the friends that you're waiting for you will experience the joy and the healing that God has put a desire for in your hearts the worst things that you ever experienced as you process those things by faith will make your eternal life greater the deepest sorrows in this life will lead to the greatest joy and the greatest glory in the life to come and that's the power of Easter, the power of the resurrection that's offered to all of Jesus' followers today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just ask that you would answer this prayer for all of us gathered today, that we might know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the, the saints, and your incomparable power for all who believe the power that's like the working of your mighty strength which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead we pray that you would make this real to us now in Jesus name amen